Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, featuring classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the book of Samuel, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Bibles. The first point I want to bring out is this. Why did David choose five stones? Why didn't he choose four stones? Why didn't he choose just one storm? One stone. Did you hear what they just sang? Five little stones. Do you know the reason why he chose five stones, my friends? Because it proves the five points of Calvinism. Right there. That's how. David was a five-point Calvinist. It's as clear as it can be. Right there in the text. Amen. All right. I'm glad you see it. I've got all kinds of other good insights that we're going to see tonight. Good. Let's turn our attention to our Lord and ask him to bless us as we study his word. Our Father in heaven, we humble ourselves to say we need to be spoken to. We need to be corrected and instructed and taught and encouraged. And that's our prayer that you might do that. Thank you for these children that we've just seen and for the three prayers that we've just heard. Oh Lord, may it be that the children in this church and the families that lead those children would be such that they would grow up to be godly people, truly regenerated and wanting to live their lives for Jesus. Show us how we can do that. Keep us out of ruts. Give wisdom in each case and for each child. And then, Lord, help us right now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about application now from 1 Samuel 17. I must say that if you're here tonight and you didn't hear this morning's message, you may be a little bit lost because we're picking up now in 1 Samuel 17 in regards to how to apply what we have heard to our lives. I must remind you again that in the Scripture says that the Old Testament stories were written that we might give a hope and have encouragement and might persevere. And they were written to correct us and instruct us and train us and teach us and, and, and encourage us. And we've learned this morning the number one thing from the story of David and Goliath, and I think the main hermeneutic that you're supposed to take with you, is what we saw this morning. Does anyone care when God is dishonored, when his name is defiled? Does anyone care about God's will? I'm not going to review that, but I am going to tell you that one of the ways that will be clearest for you to tell is how you pray and the things that you pray for. Is it always gimme, 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 gimme? Or is there a sense in which you are praying for God's kingdom to come, for his name to be hallowed, and for other people? That is such a crucial test as to whether or not uh, your, your prayers reveal your theology, or may I say this, your theology are, is revealed in your prayers. And that is so important that we would consider such things. Now, um, I want to tell you that as a child, maybe some of you had the same situation that I had, but as a child, I had some fantastic dreams. When I say that, I mean the actual time when you're asleep in the bed where you're dreaming. And one dream that I had many, many times over was a dream in which I found great treasure. And, and I, I would find gold and silver and rubies. And, a, and another dream that I often had, and I can still remember, it was like one of those old treasure chests, and I would open it up, and it would be full of these things. I'm also reminded of, of, um, of uh, another dream that I would have in which I would find just boatloads of money. I would just be looking around, and there would just be dollar bills everywhere. And I would be running around picking them up and, and collecting them. And I, and I remember a story that a man told me a couple of years ago that is very fascinating, and I'll just say it, it's a long way to make a very moot point, really, but I'm going to do it anyway, um, in which uh, there was a, um, a fisherman, a commercial fisherman, who lived in Maine in the United States. And one day he went into a little cove 
True story, this, this happened maybe 15 years ago or so. The story was just told to me a couple of years ago, but he went into this little cove to mend his nets and to get some things worked on in his boat. And in so doing, he looked down into the water and he saw something way down, maybe 30 feet or so, in the cold uh, Atlantic water, uh, shiny gold. He wasn't sure what it was. So he took a grease bell. If you don't know what a grease bell is, I didn't know either until I heard this story. A grease bell is a bell with grease in it that sucks whatever is off the bottom and into the grease, and so you can pull up whatever was there on the bottom. And he went and he dropped the bell down, and he picked up what it was. He picked up seven or eight Spanish coins from the 17th century, gold coins, solidly gold coins. He couldn't believe it. No one was around. It was out in a wilderness place in Maine, and he just dropped. He All afternoon, for several hours, he dropped the grease bell, pulled up the gold. Well, he never told anybody. He had a friend in Boston. He lived up near the Kenny Bunkport area. And he went, he went down to um, Boston and he would sell one or two of those coins a year. And he made more money in selling one or two, two coins a year than he did in the whole year of commercial fishing. Well, he went to a lawyer's office in Boston who was his good friend. And he said, I want to tell you a story. I don't want you to tell anybody else. And when I die, I want you to tell my children that these coins are buried on our property somewhere. And so the lawyer heard the story and and about a year later, he read where the man died, and he went and he told the, the family that there was coins buried on their property. Well, he said, and, and for me telling you, I'm going to get a 7% finder's fee or something, or whatever it is. And they agreed to that. And they went and dug up the entire yard and couldn't find any coins. And finally, they remember the last thing the commercial fisherman did before he died is he built a little sidewalk from the garage out to the driveway. And in doing so, he had a little, where the bricks sort of made a circle and there were some flowers. And they just dug in there by hand and they found seven mayonnaise jars full of Spanish gold coins. The attorney who got 7% on that bought his three children homes and himself a, 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 a yacht to retire on. Um, what's the purpose of that story? Just to tell you, that's a neat story, number one. <laughs> But, but, but to tell you that that is often the, the way that I feel as my job. My job is to study the scriptures, to preach, and I'll tell you one of the most fascinating things is to feel as if I'm, I'm finding golden nuggets as I will meditate uh, upon the scriptures and, and learn. And it's not, it has been a wonderful, thrilling privilege to study 1 Samuel 17 this week and to, and to see such good insights from the scriptures for our lives. And, and one thing, and I mean this, if you wanted to know a prayer that God would, uh, that we should make to God is that we would be a people that care about God's name. Salvation is in His name, that His name would be honored. The great, the basis of your security in Christ is, is that God is jealous for His name. The reason for missions is that God is jealous for His name. More than compassion on the lost is the fact that God honors His name and He will not forsake His people for the sake of His great name. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's the reason. And David said, we can't dishonor God's name. We can't let that man do that anymore. But I'm not going to review. All right, no, look, no, let's go next. What's the second point that we can make? Go to verses 33 with me and follow along. And let's follow again. Saul says to David in verse 32, you can't go. And David says <clears throat> this, but David said to Saul, after Saul had told him, you can't go because you're a greenhorn. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried them off from the flock. I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Now watch this, everybody. Pay attention. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me 
Past tense. From the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me. Future tense. From the hand of this Philistine. The second application from this text, and boy, it's a great one if it's supposed to correct us and instruct us and train us. A second one is this. Past victories and their present value. Or, today's problems will benefit you in tomorrow's challenges. Or, the importance of a good memory. I didn't know which one to go with, so I decided we'll just throw all of them in there. And the fact is, all of this is true. The fact is, do you realize that Goliath would not have been killed if David had not had the victories over the lion and the bear? It is important for us to remember that. It's, it's extremely important for us to remember that. In fact, I want you to see what one man says by the name of Kalor says that he believes that the, the chart of events in David's life went something like this. This may not be right. This makes David a little bit older than I thought, but look at here. It says, David, around 15 years of old, is anointed. That's chapter 16. And then he spends two years with the sheep in which he is called to court to be a harp player so that the demons would leave Saul. You remember? The evil spirit from the Lord, I should say. And then there is about two years going back and forth as an armor bearer. That was probably, by the way, the armor bearer was probably an honorary position. It was not a real position. Uh, it was an armor bearer, sort of like a teenage armor bearer, you know, for the president type thing, for the king. And then there's two years of the court. And then he comes back in which he kills the lion and the bear and then Goliath. Now, the lion and the bear, I don't see any reason why it couldn't have happened during these years. But we don't know. Whereas the, the, the same type of thing, which, by the way, would place David somewhere between the ages of 15 and 19. I want you to notice on the chart. The other thing is, here's Saul, in which the, the depression is diagnosed, and then the depression is treated by David. And just to, to help you see how that fits. But we'll keep that in mind and make this comment. The Old Testament is full of things like this. After they crossed the Jordan, what were they supposed to do? Can you tell me? After the Jordan backed up 15 miles, when they crossed it going into the land, what were they supposed to do? Build an altar out of memorial stones. Memorial stones, that's exactly right. And there were special names given. Why were certain children named certain things? So that they would remember that as long as that person was alive, there would be a memory of what God had did, what God had done for this person or for this nation or for that family. In the New Testament, we have communion. What is communion? This do in remembrance of me. Isn't that true? This do in remembrance of me. And I'd like to ask you this question. What is it that you have that will help challenge you this week? When difficult times come, what is it that's going to help you? Well, David walked in there, saw Goliath taunting Israel and mocking the name of God, and he says, look, past victories and their present value or today's problems will benefit you tomorrow's challenges, the importance of having a good memory. David says, if you look down again, back to verse 34, it says, your servant has been. By the way, this is right off the cuff. Saul goes, you can't go. You're too young. And David goes, wait a minute. Let me tell you, and it sounds, if you just read verses 34, 35, and 36, it sounds like that David did all of it. But notice how he changes it down in verse 30. He says, has been, I went, I have killed. And then in verse 37 says, the Lord who delivered me. Do you want to know the reason why David has such confidence? Do you want to know why David can say in verse 32? Look at verse 32. David walks up to Saul. Remember, they say, Saul, we got a guy that says he'll go fight Goliath. And Saul must have been very disappointed when he laid eyes on young, ruddy David as he walked in. And he goes, you can't go. First words out of David's mouth. Don't worry, the guy's history. Saul goes, you can't go. He goes, oh no, I can go. You and me explain. I killed a lion, I killed a bear when they carried off the sheep. I even grabbed him by the chin and killed him. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. You see, sometimes we need memories to be able to remember what God has done. In other words, let me say this. Looking back in faith enables you to look forward in faith. Did you hear me? 
Looking back in faith enables you to look forward in faith. Let me tell you how this works in my life. Oftentimes when I am grieved over personal sin in my own life, one of the things that will bring a great comfort to my heart besides 1 John 1, 9, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and many of those texts that I've literally worn out in my life, one of the things that will encourage me is to remember, do you know, I can remember in such and such a year when I was in such and such a condition, and I can remember how terrible, and you know what, I remember God was faithful to me then. And if he was faithful to me then, I can remember he'll be faithful to me now. And oftentimes when I feel unworthy to stand up and speak the word of God, one of the things that comes back to me is, you know, I can remember that in such and such a year, I, I faced such and such, and it was so real, and God still used me then, and if he'll use me then, he'll certainly still use me now. And I would like to ask you as your pastor, do you have those kinds of things? Do you have something that you can look back on? Do you have any kinds of books of remembrances? And I want you to know that when you face trials and troubles and challenges and problems, they are there so that you can have future ministry in the year 2010, in the year 2020. And the problems that you had in the 1970s, the 1980s, and the early 1990s, you know why they're there? They're there to help you as you face problems now. Dale Ralph Davis makes this comment. There is the interpretation of David, there is the interpretation of David's experience. He does not ascribe his escapes to luck or skill or audacity. Yahweh delivered me. Looking back in faith enables him to look forward in faith. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What Yahweh has done in the wilderness of Judah, he will do in the valley of Elah. This is instructive for the people of God. Now listen. Faith is sustained in the present and for the present as it remembers Yahweh's provision in the past. The rich history of God's past goodness nourishes faith in the current dilemma. It is here that memory that Yahweh delivered me then and there and logic, if he handled that, is he not adequate for this? Can be handmaids of faith. It is so crucial to remember God's past deliverances. If you're troubled, if you're troubled doing so, if you have trouble doing so, invest in a diary. In God's economy, no experience is wasted. You must keep verse 37 before you. If you don't, you will misconstrue and somehow give David credit as if it was by his great skill or wisdom that he delivered Israel from Goliath. The basis of this great confidence is that God has delivered me. And I'll tell you what, what an exciting day it must have been for David. I killed that lion. I killed that bear. I'll be able to kill Goliath. Because God delivered me and he, he is the living God. And did you get this? David's the only one that mentions God as the living God. Everyone else is, he's defiled the armies of Israel. David says, he's defiled the armies of the living God. Did you hear that? The armies of the living God. And let me ask you that. That's the sense in which I mentioned a few weeks ago and everybody misunderstood me, I think, in which I said, you know, I know I've been saved once and for all in Christ, but I know I've got to keep being saved. And you know what I mean by that? It's not that I need to get salvation over and over again, but I need to be saved out of my own dilemmas, my own troubles. If you give Kim Kaufman a chance, he'll mess things up, and God has to continue to save me. And I don't mean save me in the sense of a new salvation. I mean deliver me from that present dilemma is what I'm trying to talk about. And one of the things that you need to remember, everybody, is that, that it is a wonderful thing to remember how he has delivered us in the past and how he has changed us, and how faithful he has been, so that we can live out our faith in the present. Now, let me make a couple further applications from this application. Do you know what this should do in the church of Jesus Christ? My friends, this should revolutionize our church. And one of the reasons is this. What is real discipleship anyway? Go ye to all the world make disciples. What is it? I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things in the world is, is to be able to give encouragement 
to somebody else when you have lived through some type of maybe hell on earth or lived through some type of unjust situation or lived through some kind of great trial and you have been learned the deep lessons of God. It's not that you can quote them off to win points in a, in a contest or some biblical trivial pursuit or something, but that you understand God and you have been taught lessons from God because of what you've gone through. Did you listen to what Ralph Davis said a minute ago? No experience is wasted. Do you have bad experiences in your past? Have you been delivered? Have you had failures? Have you had great successes? I want you to know that none of those is wasted. I think how wonderful it is why, why Paul says, let the older women teach the younger women. What were the older women supposed to teach the younger women? Oh, I pray, by the way, for the older women in this church to be teaching the younger women. It certainly isn't the pastor's responsibility to do that, or even deacons or others. It's the older women's responsibility to teach the younger women. And you know one of the things that you do? It says this, to love their husbands and to love their children. And you know what it can be? So many times I talk with people. We just had a conversation Friday morning uh, at, at the Amen group in which people uh, were talking afterwards and, and, and there was the sense in which there was one young man in which he was concerned because he didn't know if his relationship with his wife was what it was supposed to be. And it was wonderful. Now there I was an older person. And I could sit there and say, let me tell you, man, I, I know where you are. I can explain this. I've lived there and I can understand it. And, it was, it's, and I said, let me tell you something. You're in the realm of normalcy. I mean, you, God can help you. God can strengthen you. Here's some things that you need to do. And it's wonderful to be able to see that. But what godly counsel can come from past victories and what godly counsel can come from, from even past defeats in which you have confessed it and got it right with the Lord. In fact, I want to ask you this question. Listen carefully. Do you have a biblical, excuse me, do you have a book of remembrance? Maybe your spouses could remind each other, look, honey, don't you remember what God did for us here? But, but how about this, everybody? Listen to me carefully. How about this? How about... The fact that a good memory for the wrong things can be destructive to your life. What I mean is this. There are some Christians that I've talked to and they grieve over some sin in their past and they keep thinking about it and they keep thinking about it and they keep thinking about it and they keep thinking about it. And do you know something? That's not right. We are not to be taught, we're taught, not taught anywhere in the Bible to grieve over our past sins that have been confessed and repented of. And one of the things that can so discourage you is if you look back to your past, and just listen to me, if you look back to your past and all you can see is your utter stupidity and failure, then you can be assured that that's not the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Dr. Gramacki told me at Cedarville years ago, the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and the devil's temptation is this. The Holy Spirit will take one area of your life, show you where you were wrong, and give you the courage to trust Christ for forgiveness. Whereas the devil will come along and you will be a total, utter failure. He says, Kim, remember that. So we need to have a memory that's biblical and proper. And I would like to tell you something. It is, it is wonderful. That's why living the Christian life, we, we should be able to pull out. The longer we live it, we should be able to pull on more resources. Look what he has done for me. And David stands up and fight our Goliath. And I'll tell you, that's a, that is exciting to understand this. And, and one last thing while we're on that. Well, actually, to go to this next point. We'll see it in the next point. Look at point number three. You say that you want to be used of God? Go back with me to verse 15. Look what it says. Back to verse 15. It says in verse 14, David was the youngest, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. David was the youngest. And he went back and forth from Saul to, send, to tend his father's sheep. Now go down to verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. 
Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to a battle position, shouting their war cry. Now down to verse 34 through 37, which we just read. Now, now listen to me, everybody. It is such a typical thing today to hear people say, Lord, use me, Lord, use me, I want to be used. Pastor Kaufman, I want to be used. And a principle to help us, instruct us, and teach us, and correct us, and help us to go on in our Christian life and perseverance is this. If you are serious, if you are truly serious that you want God to use you, then stop being so romantic about ministry. Stop being so romantic about the future. And be faithful in even the most mundane and seemingly unimportant duties. And let God advance you as He wants. Do you notice in this story, if I just put that overhead on again, look, look here. He's 15 years old, and what is he doing the day he gets anointed? What's he doing? He's keeping his father's sheep. So he gets anointed, and what does he go back to doing? Keeping his father's sheep. And then one day, while he's out keeping his father's sheep, one of the servants in the high court remembered him, and they call him up to become a heart player in the high court. What an exciting thing for a boy. I'm sure beat probably being out with the sheep, I'll tell you. Going to play for the king. Where are you going? Can you tell him to tell his school friends? I'm going to play for the king. You know, I'm going. David wasn't a braggadocio type guy, but that's where I'm going. And then he spends time there, and guess what? They go to war, so David loses his position as honorary uh, armor bearer and as a court musician. And so what does he do? Faithfully come back. He's keeping the sheep, and I want you to see something. It may seem subtle to you. You may think I'm reading into it like you thought I was reading into the five points of Calvinism with those five stones. But I want you to see something. I want you to see something here. Go back again to verse 20, and look what it says. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd. His father says, go to the battlefield, see how the children are doing, see how your brothers are doing, check on them, and and give them this food, and then let me know how they're doing. He's up early in the morning, and get this, he took care of the flock that he was responsible over. He cared for that young flock. He loaded up and he set out just as Jesse had said. I think that so many people today do so much manipulating, so much strategizing. They say things like this, if only I could get a break, what does it take to get into the ministry? Or how can I be used of God? And I want to tell you, you can be used of God tonight. Do you know how you can be used of God tonight? You say, well, I don't have anything to do tonight. All I have to do is go home with my family. That's right. Serve your family tonight. And tomorrow you say, well, I'm not in the ministry. I'm just working at such and such a place. That's right. Be, be, be all that a Christian should be in that workplace. That's serving the Lord. Be everything that you can in every situation that you are. And stop trying to manipulate yourself. I, I, I think possibly one of the great failures in the church is this. The typical way people go to missions is this. At the end of a service, we stand up and say, if you, want to, if you feel God's calling you to missions, walk forward. Well, if you're here and you're discouraged in your job... Suddenly you can walk forward in a lot of churches and say that God's called you to missions. No one's going to question you. And you're going to become the hero of the church, be prayed for every week. Your picture's going to be put up on the board. And, and you're going to get so many hundreds of dollars a week to go to the mission field. Possibly all it was is you were discouraged in your job and you weren't willing to persevere and be godly where you were. So you wanted to jump ship because when people have monkeys on their backs. The grass always seems greener. It'll be better over there. If only I could go over there. If only I could go over there. And I want to tell you, if David had that attitude, Goliath would have never been killed, and he never would have been called to the king's court. Can I ask you this? Be faithful to where you are in what you're doing and serve the Lord with all of your heart. Just serve to the best of the ability for the glory of God and let him exalt you. 
Friends, please remember that promotion does not come from man, but from the Lord. This is a weak illustration, but they asked Ben Hogan one day in a crucial golf tournament. He hit a shot from about 200 yards out on a par four, and it sunk for an eagle. And the reporter afterwards says, boy, you sure are lucky. And Hogan said, you know, it's funny funny that you would say that. The, The harder I practice, the luckier I get, is what he said. Now, there's a sense in which I want you to see the fact that just we have so much on self-promotion and self-exaltation and where do you want to be and what do you want people to say about you and envision your life here. And I'll tell you, I don't think that's right. I do not think it's biblical. I think it is biblical to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and be faithful to God on a daily basis. And we need to be those kind of people living for God with all of our hearts. Now, notice how God sovereignly times this. How does God take care of David? I want you to remember now. How did God take care of him? He sends him... Uh, under order of his father, and by the way, that's another great principle on this, stay in submission to where you are. And he stays by order of his father, he goes to visit his brothers, and it just so happens that when he visits his brothers, right when he's doing the job that his dad asked him, Goliath comes out. And then the rest is, 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 is the story we know. And I would encourage you to do this. Just relax in one sense that you don't have to exalt yourself and promote yourself. And in another sense, be very disciplined and diligent to serve God faithfully where you are. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you in due time. He will exalt you in due time. And don't kid yourself that somehow you'll be able to kill a Goliath one day if you're not being faithful with those few sheep in the wilderness. Don't kid yourself. He never would have had that victory. D.L. Moody started with one student. Charles Spurgeon started in a little tiny country church in an obscure village in London. Or not in London, in England. And the way may not always be to grant you great success. That may not be the plan that God's going to move you up, everybody. But I will tell you this. Our job is not to worry about that and, and just say that you want to be used of God and be faithful where you are. Fourth principle. Watch out for jealousy. Do you know the opposite of living for the glory and honor of God? Now watch this, everybody. Principle number one. Does anyone care when God is dishonored? David did. The reason David killed Goliath is because he cared about God's honor. You want to know the opposite of God's honor? Jealousy. Jealousy. Elab, verses 28 through 30. Look again into verse 28. When Elab's, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness and desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. I'll tell you something that's so interesting. One man said, David fights three Goliaths in this passage. He fights Eliab, he fights Saul, and then he fights Goliath. In Eliab, he he fights the same Goliath's taunts. Eliab taunts him. In Saul, here's the king with all the authority saying, you can't do it, or else do it the way you're supposed to do it with my, my, uh, what do you call it? Armor. But I'll tell you something, friends. Do you realize this? That jealousy, now stop and think about this, everybody. Jealousy is the exact opposite of living for the glory of God. Did you hear that? The scripture says, who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy is a horrible thing. Do you understand, friends? Stop and think of me. If you look at verses 28 through 30 again, you get something. Eliab would rather that Goliath should defile God's name then that David should fight him. He hears David talking about it, and I'm just wondering this. Just, let's just paint several scenarios. We got insight to the five stones. Let me get another one. Do you think that Elaab knew that David had killed a lion and a bear? I bet you he did. 
I bet you David's family knew that he killed a lion and a bear. Let's just pretend that he did. If Elab knew that David had killed a lion and a bear while keeping his father's sheep, which I don't understand why he wouldn't, then Elab had some kind of knowledge that David might be able to handle Goliath. And all of a sudden, one day, he overhears them, and David, Elab has already been passed by on the anointing, and possibly some of the skills of young David were showing Elab up. And he says, what are you doing? I know you're hard. You be, why don't you go back with your few sheep? And he just, look at this, this sarcastic putting on. Let me just ask you, are you a sarcastic person, putting other people down, critical of others, judgmental of others? Always, it, 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 i tell you something, friends. If you are, you can just mark it up. I am, put your name in, not living for the glory of God. Did you hear that? To be jealous to be envious means that you care more about the glory of yourself than you do about the glory of God. Elab, can you imagine, David is consumed because God's name is being profaned and Elab doesn't care at all about that because he doesn't want David to get any kind of exaltation. This has been so convicting to me, friends. Over the years I have been so convicted, I've had to realize this. If I truly am desirous to be a servant of the Lord and see God's blessing, that means that I've got to be seeing God's blessing anywhere else in Indianapolis where the gospel is being preached. And if I'm not for it there, like I'm for it here, then there's something wrong with me. And some of the things you need to stop and ask yourselves is this. Are you jealous of someone? If so, you need to realize, friends, that you are living for yourself and you must repent of that sin and ask God to cleanse you from it. David's zeal for God and Elab's zeal against David match each other in this. In this. How about this one? I never thought I'd say this in a sermon. Look at this point. You say, where in the world did you get that? Verses 38 and 39. Look at verses 38 and 39. We're almost done. Just hang on. We're almost done. This sounds so secular, I've got to explain myself. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said. I'm not used to them, so he took them off. This might be weak in the the more I think about it, but I, I want you to really get this point. Don't wear equipment if that equipment's not for you, just because everybody else is doing it. I totally believe in progressive sanctification. This is not a statement about progressive sanctification, where, oh, just, you know, God loves you the way you are. No, he wants us all to change into Christ's likeness. But this is a statement that we need to be learn, willing to learn from others. And what I mean to say is this, you... I heard Wearsby say years ago, you can't manufacture gold. He says one of the biggest mistakes pastors make is some pastor makes it big, and all. And so pretty soon he has a pastor's conference. And so all the pastors run to his church, and he says, this is the way I did it. And they go, point one, point two, point three, point four, point five, point six. And everyone goes, okay, there's the six points. Let's go back and do it. And I've even seen some churches, they wear the same glasses, they comb their hair the same, they do everything the same, because they want to be just like that. And the fact is, you can't manufacture gold. And one of the things is this. God had trained David in a particular way, and you should accept that and go with what God has done for you. David didn't kill a lion and bear carrying Saul's equipment. He killed a lion and bear with a slingshot. And so in the sense that God has specially trained you for special missions that you have in your life, can I encourage you that God can equip you? And you may say, well, now I don't know about it. I don't have the... Trust the Lord. Didn't he deliver you from your own lions and your own bears? He can deliver you in the future. And trust the Lord in that. Last point, and we'll be done. Please don't forget, this story is not about the great man of God, but it's about the great God of men. A statement I heard years ago in a course that I took, and I tell you it's a great statement. The Bible is not about great men of God. 
We're not supposed to go back. And, in fact, it's very easy uh, to, to sit back and go, whoa, can you believe what David did? Grabbing a bear by the beard and killing it? Killing Goliath? But friends, David doesn't want you to see that. It is very clear in David's mind that it is the Lord who delivers. He is able to save his people in the worst of situations. He is able to save his people regardless of the odds. And one thing I want you to know, which is a biblical principle, which ties right into our own salvation, but listen carefully from the 33rd Psalm. It says this, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength that cannot save. It is not in David's ability and agility and wisdom and courage that saved him. It is the God of Israel, who is also the God whose son's name is Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And sure, we have to admire David and his faith and his courage, but David wants you to know it is God who delivered, and so let's make sure that we praise him. For some reason, it is so easy to to worship idols, isn't it? It's so easy to get people out there in front of you, maybe because we can see them. And in David, you can just about see him in this passage. But how important it is that we realize that it is the God that is faithful to deliver. And you know something that's just going to be a shocking to me and, and to you? As we go on in this, is you're going to see the same David who was this courageous in the 17th chapter sleep with another man's wife. You're going to see the same David have the, the, the husband of the wife that he slept with murdered. You're going to see David make horrible and terrible sins. And certainly our salvation is not going to be in men because you're going to see again that God has to have great mercy on David or he gets thrown away, he easily would get thrown away. Boy, I tell you, it is a wonderful privilege to study these scriptures. And what I just think of what we have to look forward to here, and, and I, I want to encourage you, we get forward. We get, look forward to First Samuel 18 next week, and then all the way through First Samuel up until about Christmas time is our goal on a regular basis. And there's so much to glean. And would you pray for me, and I'll pray for you that these times would be full of help and strength. Um, let's pray. Oh Father in heaven, please strengthen our faith, renew encouragement in people's lives from what we've learned tonight. Thank you for being so good and so faithful. Lord, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of past victories when we need them and our hearts are faint? Could you, Father, put these principles into our life so we would be faithful where we are, doing what we can do now? Keep us humble and trusting. Keep us zealous for your cause. Our Father in heaven, we, we express to you our love and our gratefulness for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our desire to magnify Him this week. I pray particularly that uh, you might just keep us faithful. It's so easy to want to live on the day of Goliath, but it's so hard to live on the day when there's, we're all by ourselves and there's just the lions and the bears around. And I pray, Father, that you would please help us to be faithful. May you find us faithful. We remember the words of Jesus when he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, for his sake. Amen. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.